As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to the England Show podcast from The Athletic. For this pod, we're going to answer some of the questions you guys have sent in on social media after England cruised through to the semi-finals of Euro 2020, and now preparations start for a return to Wembley to face Denmark. I'm joined today by Lindsay Hooper, and from The Athletic, we've got David Ornstein and Carl Anker, fresh from his Rome adventure. I'll come to you actually first, Carl. How, how, how was Rome? 30 degrees, an amazing footballing atmosphere. Loads of Ukraine fans, also met some Estonian football fans as well. And uh, it was very fun, not only just because of the ending result, but the day before, obviously, you had Belgium versus Italy. So you had first the uproarious uh, Italian fans getting very happy that they had vanquished Belgium. And then this a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere with all the England fans. By the time you left, Carl, were they saying, I'll see you in the final? I was out there with Jack Pitt-Brook and we had a very fun conversation with a with a cab driver as we exited the Stadio Olimpico Uh his name was Rocco and he said I had to mention him um, and we were talking about England and the Euros and he said he would much prefer the final was Italy v Denmark because he thought that would be much easier but he, he said you know anything's possible and then he told me you know the game is the game and the ball is round so who knows. Many of the people listening to these pods like to be taken inside and you know, when we go around to these events in normal circumstances, we can go wherever we want. We can soak in the atmosphere, the cities, the cultures, the food, the drink, and then we get to work. And then, you know, we're, we're, it's quite easy with travel. But I guess it's the complete opposite this time around, which doesn't quite make it as memorable as occasion off the pitch as it was on. It was a very admin heavy trip. So uh, there are Technically, I'm, I'm included as one of UEFA's VIPs in order to cover this tournament. So 
while a number of England fans wouldn't be able to attend that game because they would have had to quarantine for five days, I was allowed to travel and not, um, well, essentially travel to what is known as official UEFA sites. So upon getting to Rome, once I, you know, get to Rome, get in the cab, get to the hotel, and once I'm in the hotel, the only places I was allowed, the only interiors I was allowed to go into were my hotel room, um, the hotel restaurant, whatnot. And then the UEFA sites, which were either the Stadio Olimpico or the area around the Stadio Olimpico, where I eventually took my COVID test, and and the UEFA fan zone, which I was far too tired to attend. Um, so upon arriving, so I arrived there at, I'd say, about uh, three o'clock uh, Italian time, get to my hotel, whatever, check in and whatnot, doing athletic work. And then uh, the day, the morning of, I had to travel to Stadio Olimpico, I had to do a COVID test. Uh, I can inform you that... Uh, they do their, um, Italy's got quite a more, slightly more militant, shall we say, approach to COVID testing. So you can get rapid tests quite quickly. And uh, their COVID tests are, well, they go a little bit further up your nose than they might do in the United Kingdom, so to speak. Uh, my nose felt a little bit itchy for the rest of the afternoon there. Uh, but I got, I got my test within 10 minutes, it was a negative. And that allowed me to go into the stadium in the time being. But that also meant once I returned back to my hotel room, I wasn't really allowed to go anywhere. I watched the Italy-Belgium game from my hotel room. I watched Spain, Switzerland in the same manner. I, I had a small walk outside, <laughs> completely open air, uh, in order to, you know, just to get my legs working in a bit of a sunny check. But it was very much stay in the hotel room, then go to the game afterwards. And then afterwards, stay in the hotel room. Then you're allowed to go out. So it was, it was work. Uh, it's still... Rome, so you still get a nice view if you do have a, a walk and you still have that fun thing of you can go up to any outdoor coffee shop, have an espresso, and it's probably one of the best coffees you've ever had in your life. But uh, it, I, I will remember the experience of watching England play at the Stadio Olimpico. But if someone says, what's Rome like? I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, have the, have the fan parks been a bit more interesting than Carl's Hotel Room? I don't know. I mean, you want to be in Rome for that game. Do. I don't think there's do. any debate about that. But um, the, the fan zone, so there's a football village near Potter's Field, near Tower Bridge. And that has been gradually, as we've got through the knockouts, filling up further and further. So they're at capacity each evening now. But Italians in particular in London have been flocking there. We had a lot of turnout for, for Germany fans, France fans, um, and Italy and Spain, I think, will be absolutely rammed. Um, and it's been a great atmosphere to be down there and see fans all together. Um, but they, they are putting a real strict limit on numbers so that social distancing can occur. <laughs> Whether it does or not is another thing, but it, it can with the numbers. They're definitely not overpacking it. But um, but there were there were queues for I think, and this is what I can't get my head around with with super fans, is why would you queue for nearly an hour when the match has kicked off to still try and get in, and and that was the case. There were still queues around the block at London Bridge, but I'd I'd have given up after two minutes. You know, if the if the game's kicked off, that's it. You yeah. go somewhere else. I will say it was interesting to see uh, the England fan base in Rome did not sing Sweet Caroline. It was very much, it's coming home uh, over any other song. We did get quite a little bit of Southgate, You're the One. And uh, after the third goal, uh, we got Que Sarah, Sarah, a wonderful rendition as well. So just a little tweak to the songs we've been hearing at Wembley. David, how, how would you assess like, the mood of the nation from the people that you've been speaking to within the game at the moment? Yeah, it's amazing. There's a, um, a real optimism now that England can go all the way and I don't think we should avoid that conversation because they should get to the final and although they're an inferior team 
potentially to, say, Italy, if it's going to be them or Spain. They can give a good account of themselves in front of a home, largely home crowd. You've got to look back to you know, previous generations um, and and periods within English football history where these building blocks were being put in place. You know, the FA built St George's Park. The FA um, started, you know, it was much derided, the England DNA. And we were like, well, what on earth is that? And they were bringing in more coach educators and a more technical style of football. You know, for a period, everyone was sort of looking at the German model. Now I think the Germans might be looking at England. And bit by bit, step by step, bringing Gareth Southgate in largely against his will initially. He, he's spoken publicly about having reservations about taking the job after he was put in temporary charge when Sam Allardyce got the boot. There was huge uh, scrutiny on the likes of Dan Ashworth, who was technical director at the time, and many in the FA. But often these things come to fruition much later. It feels from people I speak to in the game now that they saw this building within English academies. Greg Dyke said that England need to challenge for the 2022 World Cup. Uh, Perhaps this is actually the beginning. Andy Murray at Wimbledon, I remember reporting on him in 2012. He lost the final to Roger Federer. He then came back to the site and won the gold medal at uh, at the Olympics. And the year later, he won uh, the Wimbledon title in 2013. And so whether or not England get to the final, win the final, it feels like we're at the start of a really exciting journey that people within football have seen coming within Premier League and even Championship Academies, the type of football uh, that is being produced, the style of play, the structure of the England setup. There's still a lot that needs to change within the FA, but the England picture under Gareth Southgate and some really top pro, even even though a lot of staff have come and gone on the technical and analytical side, they've kept moving in the right direction. They've kept seeking excellence. They're at the cutting edge in in a lot of areas. And finally, it feels that England are a, a footballing nation to be proud of. They are starting to fulfil their potential. And to those who have seen it closely, I don't think it's a great surprise, but it is a massive satisfaction uh, that could put us on a journey that we'll never forget over the next few years and the sort of journey that we've been looking at other countries and saying we wish that was us. And this system, David, Southgate clearly has faith in it too. The fact that he came out at the beginning of this tournament and very boldly said, if we don't make a semi-final, it will be deemed a failure. And he's done that now. He's got to this semi-final, which, which I thought was a real courageous statement to make, knowing the way that England fans can react. Mm, definitely. Well, if you think back to Euro 96, which was the last time we got to a... Euros semi-final. England were very lucky, you could say, because of penalty shootout jeopardy. And that hasn't been the case this time round. England have deserved the right to be in this semi-final. And in fact, as the tournament has gone on, they've done it with a swagger, Germany, and then, of course, against Ukraine. Now, you could question some of the opposition in the group stage. You can question opposition in the quarterfinals. But it feels, and I was listening to this point made on another show, that England are almost building club-style relationships, bonds within the team. And you know within club football, it's all about partnerships in midfield, left wing, right wing, central defence, attack, etc. And England are doing that now. And they absolutely are there on merit. And maybe Gareth Southgate, who's privy to much more than us, and he's shown every turn in this tournament that he knows much more than us and we should trust his judgment on these things maybe he said that Lindsay because he was 
absolutely convinced that the quality was there. The home advantage helps in all but one match. At no tournament in my lifetime have England sort of grown into it with such authority to the point where I could see them, famous last words, I could see them getting past Denmark again without conceding a goal and then putting up a really good fight, even if it's in a losing cause in the final. And I think when you are so clear in your vision as a manager and he's got Steve Holland there, who from what we hear does a huge amount of the training, the tactics, the planning, and you're so clear about your preparations. They would have, even in COVID circumstances, got that um, planning down to an absolute T in terms of their bases, their travel, their preparation. You can't help for injuries and controversies and things like that. But I know it's a cliche, control the controllables. And Southgate seems to have been near perfect at that. And that gave him the confidence that you talk about to know England had every chance, a very good chance of getting to this stage. He even said we knew for 18 months that we could be playing Germany in that first knockout match. And that means they were able to prepare with their analysis, their squad picks, their personnel, their style of football. I think we're building into a bit of a golden era for England. And that's why I'm not surprised about these reports that Gareth Southgate uh, could be given a new contract, irrespective of the outcome of this tournament. There was huge criticism when those stories came out in the press from lots of sections of society. He needs to be there on merit. Well, obviously the FA gambled a bit by letting that story come out because England could have lost, but it's the path that England are on under Southgate on and off the pitch as a person and as a professional. And I back that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is The England Show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with all of our Euro 2020 podcasts and writing by following us at The Athletic UK. Let's get into some of our uh, our listener questions now. This question here from Ryan Portford actually on on Twitter, and I want to know your your individual opinion on this guy. So he says, after the World Cup semi final being seen as a success, now we are at the Euro semi finals with a tie against Denmark. Would anything less than appearance in the final be seen as a success or a relative failure from the position we find ourselves? Carl, I'll come to you first. I say it's often the way you perform in a semi-final. Uh, I remember years and years and years ago watching Manchester United in a in a Champions League game and they, and they said, I think it was Clive Tilsey who said, only anoraks uh, and managers remember losing semi-finalists in that sort of... No one wants to be a losing semi-finalist. We've talked before on this podcast about the the BBC montage or when your your brain imagines the tragic defeat that England have sort of when Thomas Muller broke through your brain starts going oh that's the moment and I think we can often think of the that's the moment bit as that happens and 
Yes, you ask me right now, are England going to beat Denmark? My brain can already imagine a situation where a football player gets set, where you know one of England's players gets sent off, or you know someone misses, hits the crossbar on a certain chance, or a penalty happens. I'm like, oh, and you know you can hear the comms go, this was the chance. The ghost of '66 continues on. But no, I think regardless of whatever happens, this has been an incredible summer and an incredible vindication of all of Gareth Southgate's systems. We've spoken before in this podcast about how we don't know how certain things make sense to this system. And now I think, especially after the Germany game, it all makes sense. We understand, we, we've been on this podcast talking about how we don't know how intelligent Gareth Southgate is. And maybe we can kindly say he's not stupid. I think we can now say without a shadow of a doubt, he's a very intelligent international football manager. He's probably one of the best international football managers in the world right now. He's probably top 10, maybe even higher, right? This is, I don't think you can call a losing incident a failure because Yes, this is an incredible opportunity to for greatness for this great members of staff. But I think what's also interesting is this also makes 2018 look better, not worse. You go, oh, that 2018 was almost ahead of schedule. You think now this this 2020 squad is better than the one in 2018, which makes 2018 look better. It, we've gone to this w- very weird state where Croatia have gone from being Grace on football on Twitter, Grace Robertson, fantastic journalist, has said, England are so good now that our perception of Croatia has gone from a team that went to the last World Cup final and has a Ballon d'Or winner in Luka Modric to, eh, they're not very good because England beat them. (laughs) It's that very fun mission creep that England get better and therefore our expectations and pressures have changed. We've gone from going, England will always disappoint us to England will disappoint me if they do not win a tournament. We had that as well, Carl, this tournament with Czech Republic. The fact that we beat them in the group stages and then they continue to do well. And I honestly think at one point people were thinking Czech Republic might have beaten Denmark going into that game. Yet as England fans, we were like, oh, but we've, we've already beaten them. So I, I think we've had it maybe within this tournament. I, I certainly think that in terms of achievements, you know, Gareth Southgate got his redemption factor with Germany. That felt like a very special result. Then we get the four goals without reply and that feels like a special result for other reasons. And now he's got two games where he can't really win in terms of, unless he actually wins the final. Because he, can. <laughs> he can win. Um, but what I mean is, if he, if they, if England go out at the semi-final, then there will be big question marks as to how could we not overcome a side like Denmark? This is a great opportunity. The way that the draw opened out, even though, remember, at the beginning, people were saying, should we try and come second in the group? And and still we've levelled that at Gareth Southgate. Well, the draw's opened up really favourably now, despite him going hell for leather to actually top that group. And then you can go to a final and lose. And it will be, well, we didn't make the most of it. That's the nearest we're ever going to get again. And the whole ghost situation that Carl's talking about with 66 and all the demons of the past of being the Neely nation will carry on. But we're in this position and you have to be there to be in this. And so the only win-win is to win, (laughs) full stop. That's the only win situation for Gareth Southgate now. So from that point of view, he's got through the turnstile gate he and and that's it. That that's the big achievement. And now the the next two matches, um, I, th- I think reaction can be quite far-reaching. Actually, it could be from give him the new contract now to this was our best chance in years and we've blown it. David, what's your definition of success? Have have we already reached that point? Yeah, we 
had Jack on, didn't we, Dan? And he explained that football has already come home. Um, yeah. No, th there's not been success. There's been amazing progress and a, a fantastic feel-good factor and further foundations laid for a, a successful England team for many years to come. But, you know, success is winning stuff and getting to the final and, you know, to sort of balance out all of our praise... England haven't beaten an informed superpower in a major tournament. See, there's there's the there's the little mission creep, right? Because we went into this tournament, and I wrote a piece. I've written pieces saying England haven't beaten, uh, haven't won a game in a knockout. I haven't won a knockout game in the Euros since X Y Z. And we've done the one where they haven't done it in ninety minutes. And we've done the one where we said they haven't beaten the top team yet. And now they've beaten Germany. Now we've changed beating a top team to beating a top team in form, and that's. That's the very annoying, mm. slightly dangerous trick that we all do as football fans where once we've got the thing we've wanted for so long, it's the next thing instead of yeah. the uh, <laughs> enjoying what we've got. For the record, I'm enjoying it like you wouldn't believe. And, and, and I know we all are. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a section of the fan base because we are all still on WhatsApp groups and in pubs and listening to conversations on podcasts and radio and television where there will always be a bit of scepticism because no one's happy until you've got the trophy in your hands. And even then there'll be some people saying that they were lucky and it was in spite of Southgate, not because of him. And they should have played Grealish more. Uh, that's just Dan. Um, but, no, 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 no. But, but there is a section who, who will point to, I would love to see England knock out an inform superpower. And then when it happens at Wembley next Sunday, they're going to say, I'd love them to, knock out an informed superpower off of English soil to show that we really can. Oh, yeah. And, and so Carl's ab absolutely right. My definition of glory has not come, but success is all around us. Joy is all around us and, and, um, and progress is there for all to see. So my goodness, it's been like, if, if, if this tournament does end for England on Wednesday night, then we've had an absolute blast. I, I don't think rational minds will will say it was a failure. I think semi-finals, like Lindsay pointed out, was a stated aim. The journey, the the song that is going round and round our heads, um, too much now. But you know, on occasions the sun's been shining. We're coming out hopefully of a of a terrible couple of years around the pandemic. It's coming out. It's coming home. It's come home. Yeah, I, I think there's um, there's a great feeling and success is uh, subjective, isn't it? I mean, I'm looking at us all now on the Zoom call and we're all smiling. Mm. So, you know, that's that's a success because I remember jumping on the podcast at the maybe even the, the friendlies and some of the group stage games and the people on there, we weren't all smiling, you know, so you can visibly see by our faces that we are all enjoying what is happening with England and I, I just think we're in such a great place now. We've got a question here from Teacher OS. They want to know, could we have a bit more rotation whilst at the same time not disrespecting Denmark? I think it's possible. Lindsay, what do you think? No, I think no. I honestly think we revert back to the way we played against Germany, against Denmark. You think? Yeah, I really do. Um, I watched Denmark and their game against Czech Republic back again because I wanted to see just what we're going up against. And this is a good team. This is a really good team. They've got a couple of very talented youngsters. They've got some very hard workers. One of the things I think, you know, 
Damsgaard who came in and we all know about the awful events of match day one for them with, with Ericsson, but his replacement has been superb. I think Dolzberg will be one of the names for Denmark that people take away from this tournament. The back three of Kaya Christensen and Vestergaard have looked very established, I've thought as well. Mm. There aren't too many weaknesses to this Denmark team. There are weaknesses. And England, I might add, are better. I think more or less it player for player they are. But we we can't change things up too much because I think we would be opening ourselves up to, to potential questions we don't want to answer from these Danes. Um, I think they've looked a little bit vulnerable at set pieces. So I would like to see some of the the deliveries that we had from Luke Shaw on Saturday against Ukraine and the headers that, that we were able to produce from Kane, Henderson, Maguire. I'd love to see some of that again. But ultimately, I think reverting back to the Germany performance, I love the way that we close down gaps in midfield. And I think midfield is another area that we can really get at Denmark. And I I honestly think if we replicate that and potentially have Saka, the, see the, the difference with Saka compared to Sancho, for instance, or to Grealish, and Daniel probably want to come back on me with this, but it's his tracking back. It's his tracking back ability. It isn't just what he offers going forward. When you look at Mailer as the, the left wing back and how excellent he's been running forward and and getting back as quick as possible as well, we need, we need some of that in our team. And I think Saka is it. I think he provides at both ends. He's going to provide some defensive backup and he's going to be a great attacking threat. So I, I look at the way we set up against Germany and that's the way I'm inclined to go. Yeah, I mean, I think you've, I was on another podcast earlier and I was saying about playing four at the back, but I think you've absolutely just talked me into going with, with three at the back and wing backs. David, there's it actually could be, I think it might turn into a battle this game a little bit. I think there's a few similarities between between the sides of England play with the back three. I think if you look at the makeup of the back three with England and Denmark, I think both sides should be dangerous from set pieces. I think the two sitters in front of, in front of the defence, I think Hoiberg and um, Delaney, there's a lot of similarities between Rice and Phillips there. It's, it's quite workmanlike in there. So I think this game could actually turn into quite a battle. I'm going to throw most of the technical stuff over to Carl because I'm I'm not really qualified, but I have watched a lot of both teams, of course, during this tournament. And um, they're not a million miles off of each other. There's been a fair bit of attrition, but also a, a flourish of flair. And we, we remember the Denmark-Russia game so fondly. The emotion was high, but the quality was even higher. Um, the Damsgaard goal, the Christensen belter, and England have now had the flair moment of their own against Ukraine with a quite spectacular performance. Um, they would have studied each other so uh, closely that for all of the joy that we're taking from this tournament, until the Ukraine match, it wasn't really anything other than moments. You know, we had the opening goal of the tournament from Raheem Sterling. We had the Germany goals, but it was a bit of a grind during the games. And then the outcome was so good for us that the celebrations have kind of clouded our memory of the process. And I do agree with you. I think it has the potential to be a real battle. They're, they're bloody resilient, the the Danes. Simon Kerr at the back has been colossal, arguably, well, definitely one of the players of the tournament, just not what has happened on the pitch, but everything around Christian Eriksen and, and his reactions on the field that terrible day as well I, I think it could be turgid at times you know England am I right in thinking 
that we were beaten by Denmark not so long ago. Well, they were the last side to beat us at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Ericsson starred that night at Wembley. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very tense. The wave of confidence that they have that Gareth Southgate's talked about and the emotion involved, it does strange, strange things in football and in sports and in life, I guess you could say. Um, you know, the Leicester City title win. Everybody said they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Ah, oh, they've done it. And... Um, you know, Denmark are European champions in their own right, um, historically. They've done something that England have never done. And so I think that our confidence and optimism needs to be tempered. What we do know is we've got everything, more than enough quality and tactical nous and, you know, great physical shape, great um, technical ability, great feel-good factor, great support behind us to go and win it. I agree with Lindsay. San- Sancho, I mean... I would have no problem with Sancho starting, but I think Saka did so much in his two performances that he's kind of in possession of that shirt and he's incredibly dependable. Saka has got a reliability beyond his years. I I would go into any battle with that boy. Like he's perfect technically. The decision-making is spot on. He's physically robust. He knows his defensive duties. He's played left back in his career. I'll tell a quick tale that I went to interview Reese Nelson and Jadon Sancho in Dortmund in 2018 uh, and in Hoffenheim um, because that's where Nelson was playing. And just before we started rolling in the interview, Nelson and I were talking about Arsenal players. And I said, I I heard so much about you coming through because you were friends with Jadon Sancho and you were peers and you had photos together. You grew up together. He was Man City. You were Arsenal. You're the one, right? But there's also others. There's Willocks I've heard of and Ketias. And he just stopped me while I was speaking and said, there's only one you should watch out for. And it's Saka. And I'd never heard of him. So this was 2018. Saka was probably about 16 years old. And he said, that is the one. That boy can do things that you won't have seen on a football pitch. I don't think Saka is anywhere near his potential. I think his bar is going to be through the roof. We talk about generational talents. I think Sancho is a generational talent. But there is something just truly unique in Saka that I don't think English football has really seen. We've seen all sorts of mercurial talents, robust players, but that boy has a bit of everything. He's a straight A student. He's got personalities, humble. He's so popular with all the players when you hear them speak. He's the one that they talk about at Arsenal. You've got Aubameyang lavishing him with praise. And um, like the sky's the limit for him. And this isn't a club podcast where we start trying to sell him to a Real Madrid, but he whether it's with Arsenal or another club, he's going to go right to the top. And hopefully he does that internationally with England too. Yeah, Carl. I mean, I was probably a bit guilty of underestimating him coming into this tournament. I didn't think he'd be anywhere near it, but suddenly he would be in most people's teams because of the stuff that David and Lindsay have just mentioned. Oh, yeah. I, I was an earlier podcast with myself, you uh, and, and Flo, where I think we all picked Saka to not make the 26-person squad from the 33, we said Saka's versatility probably meant he could stay at home because international tournaments, you tend to want specialised tools and we all thought Saka was a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. Which is acceptable. He's at such an early stage that he didn't have to go. It's what he brings now he's here. He's... I think the the thing that David's just described, that, that uniqueness to him, is he's got an incredible scalable amount of skill sets, right? So you have certain players who can pass, dribble and tackle, right? And you, you can they can do it to varying degrees. You know, you're seven out of 10 at this, you're four out of 10 at this, and you're five out of 10 at this. Whereas Saka very clearly 
is just great fundamentals in everything in a way that you don't get in a teenager. You're not supposed to be that good up top above your shoulders and that good below your shoulders at the same time until you hit your 27, 28. That's why they call it your peak, right? He shouldn't already understand that if I stand this way and then turn that way and that way I can spin a defender. He shouldn't also know that the ball's going to land there once it goes up in the air and you can just collect it. So he can do amazing things, but amazing not just in the attacking sense, but amazing in terms of build up, amazing in terms of defending. And and yeah, I can absolutely see a scenario where he starts and no one bats an eyelid, which is amazing, right? This is this is the great thing about this England team and the great thing about Gareth Southgate's system is honestly at this point, there is no starting lineup that he could put out for this Denmark game that I would go, why have you done that? At, at, the, very, at the very least, I'll go, I'm going to trust this process. Isn't it incredible how the conversation has changed and how we're not now talking Foden or Grealish? The fact that now we're talking, oh, Saka, Sancho. Um, Everyone was talking about this wealth of of attacking talent that we've had. And the question was to do with rotation, but we've, we've already had it, haven't we? We've already had some rotation. We just haven't had it all at once. There are so many different ways for this England team to work that there, there isn't really a right or wrong situation. So, We've just got a piece on The Athletic where a number of our writers tried to pick a starting eleven for the Denmark game. I just went, do the same thing again, but swap Sancho and Sterling on the wings. Lindsay, you saying match Denmark up with a you know, three five two. That makes that makes complete sense to me because you can just pin back yeah. Denmark's wing backs. I watched Yannick Vestergaard during his time at Southampton. He's a very curious centre back in that even though he's six foot six and you think he's a massive aerial dominant threat his real skill is that he's very two-footed and he can distribute the ball very well. He was being linked for Man United, wasn't he, yeah. Carl, at one point? You know, people forget those transfer talks that were happening. There was a bit in January 2020 where Leicester put a £25 million bid for him and everyone was very confused because they thought Vestergaard wasn't that good, only for him to turn out to be Southampton's best player of last season. So once again, that sort of Leicester City scouting system is ahead of everyone else, which I think is very interesting. So this is like... England can play 4-3-3 and just go, we'll play with intense width and intensity with Sterling and Sancho. You can also have a system where they play 3-5-2 and you ask your wingbacks to try and pin back Denmark's wingbacks and then to try and isolate Yannick Vestergaard. I could easily see a system where England do what they did for the majority of the second half against Ukraine, where they essentially played 4-4-2 out of possession. Or they can do the thing they always do when Mason Mount is the key linchpin. So they constantly switch in between a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. The fact that you you say, can England rotate? England already have. And they do it in all of these very small, subtle ways that can, you can only really appreciate after the fact, almost. And I think that's, that's the interesting thing. And that's the thing that makes them so difficult for the opposition. That this England team, yeah, that, that they have a plan A. They also have a plan B, C, D, all the way up to F. And they can change that without necessarily having to make substitutions. And if you're talking about keeping the whole of the England team happy right now, I don't think it's the attack where where the are the biggest gripes. I think if you're Ben Chilwell, you're probably sat there thinking, what have I got to do? Yeah, isn't he's the only, pretty much the only one that hasn't had a minute. I was surprised to see Trippier actually come mm. on. I was surprised. On Chilwell, yeah, I do think he will be bitterly disappointed. Um, pretty much everyone else, you know, main players have been given some game time. Uh, The only ones that haven't have really been periphery squad members. This guy came in from winning the Champions League final. And although there was, uh, of course, uh, the isolation issue that hampered him, 
to him, something might not add up when you're seeing a left back in Kieran Trippier come on on a booking that could have ruled him out of the semi-final in the Stadio Olimpico with a right foot when at left back when when Chilwell's left footed. A switch was flicked against Ukraine. There was a piece I was reading by Sammy Mockbell uh, today that said that was a savage victory. Like th- th- they did something, they turned the screw. The mentality, the swagger, the the authority. Yes, it was only Ukraine. And, and that's the sort of fodder that England beat in qualification campaigns and group stages, uh, tournament in now, tournament out. Or I should say build up, because actually it wasn't so long ago that England were falling at the group stages of tournaments. It, it was qualification that England were beating these teams at. And, but, but they had grown into the tournament. This was historic for them. If you talk to any Ukraine fans, th- these guys are heroes. And yeah, they, they faded badly towards the end, physically as much as anything. But that was because England pummeled them into submission. They squeezed the living daylights out of them. There was a newfound um, sense of purpose and dominance that I don't think I've seen in an England team. Euro 96, we built great confidence. Uh, Argentina in the 98 World Cup, when Owen scored his goal, it felt like something really magical was happening. Like we had some talent and we could score goals against big teams. But this was different. This was like... England had Ukraine in a headlock and they, w- and they weren't letting go. And you've got Champions League, Premier League winner like Jordan Henderson coming and banging in his, his first goal at international level. You've got H- Kane doing what he said he would do and hitting his straps with two goals when it matters most. This Premier League goal scorer who apparently can't necessarily do it when it really matters. Well, he, he did at the World Cup. Numbers wise, they weren't spectacular goals and he's now done it in an essentially home Euros. You've got a defence that has yeah made slip ups and and had sort of brain fades, but but has has been pretty much the best defence in this tournament. Uh, you've got a goalkeeper who still hasn't conceded a goal, and despite his rash moments, you've got two central midfielders who it's it's a beautiful marriage there between Rice and and Phillips, and and they can't be broken by a, a returning to form Jordan Henderson. Just phenomenal. And the youth, the experience, the diversity of this team. But that mo- that match said to me, something changed where England had gone from being, we were riding this crest of a wave, even against Germany. It wasn't authoritative. We felt like that team that finally comes of age and nabs a win and gets the second goal for good measure and lays that 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 dragon to, to rest. Germany, that era's gone. That was almost like the changing of a guard. And now they're, they're, they're kind of in possession. They're on the throne, England, and they don't want to be dislodged for now. Now, the biggest test is still to come. You know, the, the, the king can be dethroned at, at any moment. There could be like a, a coup. But there is something that I saw in that Ukraine performance that I've never seen before. And that's what makes me think England can go all the way. You know what it was, David, as well? You know what it was you saw? Every single player being at their yeah. best. Usually when we watch England, we're carrying somebody or there are some below par performances. But bringing Kane into it, Kane was the final jigsaw puzzle that just took off in that Ukraine match. Because not only did he get the two goals, he he won the free kick for the second one. And then he won the corner that led to the fourth one. So it was the other stuff that he was doing, as well as being in the right place at the right time. And that was what I, I sat back and thought, that this is it. This is 
totalitarian football for me. <laughs> this is me <laughs> going, right, as an England fan, I've not seen this before because apart from Pickford, when he when he made a hash of that clearance and then he looked a bit rattled and a bit wobbly after that, but he still didn't concede. They're healthily arrogant, are digging each other out of a hole whenever there is a hole. They are a band of brothers and we're not saying they're going to win this tournament, but they're playing like champions play when they're on the road to something special. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Tell you what, David's had to, had to run probably some breaking transfer news going on or something, but he is inspiring me today. David Ornstein for Prime Minister, I'll tell you what, he is rattling off some speeches. You bear in mind, the victory of Ukraine was on the 3rd of July, um, which is the three-year anniversary of England versus Colombia. So, uh, yeah. I'd, uh, I wouldn't mind a bank holiday called Gareth Southgate Day oh, on the 3rd of July. Thank you very much. Good ideas coming out on today's podcast, that, that's for sure. Just before you two guys give us your starting 11s for Wednesday, then just time to speak about a couple of articles that are on The Athletic at the moment. Tim Spears has, has done a piece on the Cody role, which may sound like a bit of a funny thing to talk about as Connor Cody hasn't played a minute for England so far, but it's just a kind of look at what it's like behind the scenes with these England players, the players that aren't involved. So that's a really interesting read. Carl, you, you've done a piece on Raheem Sterling as well, haven't you? Yes. So shortly after the Germany game, um, I was asked, well, the question was, what, why were so many headlines and whatnot devoid of Raheem Sterling in, in certain newspapers and so much conversation was, was about England rather than the collective, when I think Raheem Sterling's probably been England's best player throughout the tournament. So we had the idea at The Athletic to try and try and understand a little bit more about Raheem Sterling and to try and ask questions as to why Sterling often goes unmentioned unless things go wrong. So to do that, what I did was I traced back one of Sterling's old bus routes. So he, we all talk about how he's the boy from Brent and, and how close he, he lived to Wembley Stadium. So I went to his street that he grew up on as a child and I took the bus route that he used to take every day for the better part of five years to go to train at QPR so it's three buses, the A-T, the one and the X-140. And it is a journey that takes basically two hours. So I took that journey. I had a phone call with Clive Ellington, who is Raheem's mentor from the age of eight and one of his first ever football coaches and from Alpha and Omega football team. And we had a conversation as to why Sterling, the perception, the public perception of Raheem Sterling sometimes doesn't always match up the private practice that Raheem Sterling often has. One of my favourite authors, Wright Thompson, said, anything you watch on televised football is people publicly performing things they've practised in private for ages and ages and ages. So I just tried to have a little 
two-hour spell pretending to be Raheem Sterling on this very long bus journey that he would have taken uh, for about five years. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the piece. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, so I'll make sure I do go and check that out. And just to remind all the great England content at the moment to keep you going until the next game. If you go to theathletic.com slash England pod, you'll be able to join and subscribe for just a pound a month and you'll be able to read Carl's article and all the other great stuff on The Athletic as well. Let's finish then with yours twos starting 11s for the semi-final. I mean, I'm just chuffed to be able to say again, England are in a semi-final. Lindsay, I think we kind of, we know your shape. Yes, you've already told you us, do. But what, what team are you going for? Um, Look, I'm going to be happy with whatever starting lineup Gareth Southgate puts yeah. out. I'm, I'm saying that because I'm past doing these now. I honestly think I trust him <laughs> enough. But um, three, four, three. I go back to the the Germany model um, that was so successful uh, for us in the last Hang sixteen. On. They used they went they went three at the back. For yeah, so I'm going to go three, four, three. Three, four, three. Yeah, yep. three, yes. four, three. So I'm going to go Walker, Stones, Maguire, Trippier, Phillips, Rice, Shaw. Saka, Kane, Sterling. Excellent. And Carl, yours? Same again. Same. Wow. I'm going. I'm going. No, I'm, oh, same again from Ukraine. Oh. So the the same again from Ukraine. So that is a four three three. Pickford. And remember, there was a point in time we thought Pickford should be dropped. Yeah, I'm incredible. <laughs> uh, Pickford, Shaw, uh, Maguire, Stones, Kyle Walker, uh, Rice, Calvin Phillips. Those two are incredible, both carrying a yellow card against Ukraine, not getting booked. Uh, Mason Mount. And then I'm going to swap the flanks. So I'd have Jaden Sancho on the left-hand side and Raheem Sterling on the right because there was a little moment, I'd say maybe from the 25th to halftime, where Ukraine kept trying to get to the space in between Stones and Walker. And I think Raheem Sterling's a little bit better at covering that than Sancho. But also, as a Manchester United fan, I am really intrigued as to what Shaw and Sancho can do on the left as well. And Kane up top who, I mean, he's got three goals now, so I wonder if he's going to get himself a golden boot. Have fun. I think out of the two, I possibly prefer Lindsay's, just because the Saka factor. We spoke a lot about Saka in this podcast. So if I had to choose one of those two, I think I'd probably go with Lindsay's car. So, yeah, that's unfortunate for you. Not that it, I'm, not that that's it particularly, not I mean, that it particularly matters care. what we I We don't care as long as no, they win. Look exactly. at you, you didn't mention Jack Greenish. No, no, no. 12th man, the 12th man. Might be needed again against Denmark. He's the, he's the key 12th man. So, yeah, yeah, we'll go. We won't it. even... Any team's good, isn't we it? We won't even get to that point where I say, and if things are going well on about 70 minutes, <laughs> we bring in Foden <laughs> and Grealish. Oh, gosh, we feel oh, like we're... Incredible. We're in dreamland. Everyone's got a smile on their face. It's just great to be talking about England at the moment. It's been great to talk to you guys. That's it. I'll be back tomorrow for a full preview of England versus Denmark. Hope you've enjoyed it and hope you can join us tomorrow. Have a good day. The Athletic.